You can go from I should start a podcast to actually starting a podcast with Spreaker. Spreaker's tools allow you to record, manage, distribute, and monetize any podcast idea, whether it's about your business or even your cat. And as your podcast grows, Spreaker helps you manage your success and even monetize it. That means all you need to get started is a microphone and a really good idea. Learn more and get 30% off at Spreaker.com slash get started. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com slash get started. What's going on, folks? Thanks for downloading a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich Butler. And if this is your first time checking out an episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, first off, thanks for checking us out. Secondly, Toys and Tech of the Trade shares the tech and the gadgets that creators and entrepreneurs use to run their businesses, create content, and overall just be more productive. We deconstruct what goes into their business, whether it's certain website tools or video equipment or audio equipment if you're a podcaster. But we also tackle the lighter side of things, sharing the toys that bring a smile to these individuals' faces, whether it's something as simple as action figures or pops or going a little deeper with when it comes to toys with musical instruments or cars or weapons or firearms. You'd be surprised. The term toys is universal on this podcast and as such we like to share that with you guys and hopefully bring a little value but also a smile to your face now you're probably wondering why you have a brand new episode of toys and tech of the trade so early uh, in the week because we usually release bi-weekly uh, but our guest actually has a very cool product on the horizon and they'll be kicking off their kickstarter right around the time that we release this episode So we wanted to kind of give his product a signal boost and share the episode with you guys. But before we get into this week's guest, a little housekeeping. First and foremost, thank you to everyone that has been checking out uh, Toys and Tech of the Trade, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, or even on RageWorks.net. We truly appreciate each and every one of you that have downloaded the episodes and have given me your honest feedback. As always, feel free to reach out if you're interested in being a guest. And we'll share more details on that after the interview. Last but not least, if you are checking out the show on iTunes, please take a moment and review the show. Share your thoughts. We really appreciate it. Um, Whether it's, you know, one star, two stars, three stars, four stars, or, you know, the coveted five-star review, definitely share your reviews. We really, really appreciate it. Plus, it gives us a little bit of social proof, so to speak, which allows us to reach out to more guests and also get some of those other people that are on our radar that usually require a bit more social proof to do a podcast. Again, take a moment, review the show. We really, really appreciate it. On to this week's guest. My guest is John Coview. He is a U.S. Army veteran, game designer, and creator of Genius Games. Uh, Genius Games specializes in creating science-themed board games, puzzles, and books for a variety of different walks of life, whether it's elementary school students, middle school students, etc. And John's actually going to be launching a Kickstarter campaign, which goes live 
March 19th, right around the time this episode drops for a brand new party board game, which is Nerd Words Science. And um, the conversation with John, I kind of felt was originally going to be something just to talk about the the game that he was promoting. But man, we took a deep dive. I learned so much. Uh, first and foremost, I am truly appreciative of John's service to to our country and everything that he's done. And just, again, a true example of paying it forward, being a patriot and just being an overall genuine good guy. I really am better off talking to John. I came away inspired, but also humbled because his story was just so deep and he had so much going on and he overcame so much to bring his dream to the masses. Uh, John, in addition to obviously being the CEO of Genius Games, also is an entrepreneur, uh, definitely passes on a lot of those entrepreneurial skills to his children. And like I said, man, just a genuine good guy. But you don't need to take my word for it. So without any further ado, let's check out the toys and tech of John's trade. We're getting into the gaming space a little bit more on this brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. As I sit down with John Coview, U.S. Army vet, game designer, the mind behind Genius Games. Uh, first off, I want to take a moment and thank John for his service to our country and um, you know the great work that he's doing in terms of just getting gaming in front of a uh, of a young audience and using a different approach than some of the conventional stuff we usually grew up with. So, John, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. Oh, absolutely. I'm really excited about this. Um, yeah, I love I love talking about what I do. I love talking about games, and uh, so hopefully, hopefully your audience will be really excited about what we talk about. But, yeah, I'm pumped to be here. Thanks, thanks. I, I, I really do appreciate it. And like I said, you know, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, definitely um, appreciate that. It, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting turn of events that got us here. But as we were, we were doing some research to prepare from this inter- to prepare for this interview. You not only um, served in the armed forces, but also you taught chemistry, did engineering. You, you, um, you definitely have a, have an amazing story. So let's start. Let's start with the beginning and get into you know you being in the service and deciding to launch a board game company where where did the the inspiration for that come from what what drove you there of all places sure yeah um so i'll i'll start just real briefly back from from my childhood um i mean we i grew up in a um, a very poor family but in a fairly affluent area of st louis um so it was really interesting because i grew up with a lot of friends who were um fairly well off but um, but, you know, we regularly, uh, had our electricity turned off or, you know, had our gas turned off or something crazy like that. Um, and, and so just, just learned a lot of like, you know, how to take care of myself from a really early age. Um, I ran away for the first time when I was in sixth grade and I was gone for, uh, almost nine months. Um, the division of family services actually had to find me at, at, at school in order to tell me I needed to move back in with, um, with a relative, um, so that, that was, that was an interesting time. And then high school, um, I actually hopscotched, I'd left my parents' house my sophomore year in high school and then just hopscotched around from home to home for the next two years and actually lived out of my car for a while as well. And because of that, you know, I almost dropped out of high school and I knew, um, I, I, you know, I was, I was, I was a relatively sharp kid given the, the circumstances I was raised in. Um, and I knew I needed some discipline, some, some structure in my life. Um, I, there was no chance I was going to college, um, uh, because my grades, my grades were terrible. Um, 
And, um, I, I, you know, I, I wanted to apply myself, but I just didn't have the, the structure in my life at that point to be able to really excel academically. So uh, I joined the Army, and I actually joined when I was 17. Um, I, I, um, I forged my parents' signature. Um, I don't think they would have mind anyway. Um, and uh, got through the, the application process and left for, um, left for basic training after my junior year of high school. And then um, went back to my senior year of high school. I was in the National Guard. And then um, after my senior year of high school, um, went um, essentially um, full-time. And uh, I joined as a um, – what was really interesting, I, I joined as a field artilleryman. But um, because of the time we were in at that point, this was 2000, 2002, 2003. Oh, yeah. um, I graduated in 2003. Um, during that time, um, they, they didn't really need field artillery anymore, but what they really needed was military police. So they switched me over um, to a military police officer, and I spent the next um, – Two years on active duty as as a military police officer, and um, the, the the next six under my under my contract as a military police officer. So that's kind of the background there. Um, I definitely learned a ton um, about myself, um, about my boundaries, about my capabilities, you know, about who I was as a human, um, and, and through the, my my time in the service. Um, but I also realized that that is not the life I wanted to live. Uh, long term, that I, that I really did need to go back and get my education. Um, so I went to the community college. I started taking some classes, um, and I had a number of professors who really just spoke life into me. Um, you know, encouraged me, told me that I was that I was smart and that I that I could really excel if I applied myself. And um, so so I I started really taking my my academics seriously at that point. And um, I applied for a scholarship to Washington University which is a um, great university in St. Louis, and um, I ended up getting one of only two um, essentially full-ride scholarships to finish out my, my bachelor's degree. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that was a, that was a huge blessing. Um, you know, I, don't, I think things might have turned out differently had I not got that because that, um, that really just catapulted me in a lot of ways. Um, and then after, um, so that, that was at, yeah, Wash U in St. Louis. I studied... Um, environmental sciences with a focus on biology. As my undergraduate, I um, wanted to be pre-med. Um, well, I was pre-med. I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I, I, you know, I, I thought at that point what I wanted to do was was work for um, Doctors Without Borders or some kind of um, some kind of service-based agency that gives medical aid to people in need. And um, but my my senior year, my junior year, my last semester, I took a class. And engineering, and just oh, couldn't. I mean, I loved it. Couldn't believe what I was learning. And the professor there was an amazing professor. Um, and it cha- it really changed my trajectory at that point. And I decided to. Um, I finished pre med, but I decided not to apply for medical school. And I devoted the rest of my time to engineering classes. And then um, got a. I ended up staying there and getting a master's degree in engineering. Um, the degree technically was called environmental. Uh, chemical um, and energy. Um, it was a it was a specifically focused on um, you know the the future of renewable energies, the future of environmental engineering and, and chemical engineering, um, and that was great. Got a job working as a civil engineer after that, and um, really didn't it di- didn't feel like I fit at that point. I was working for this corporation, 
and uh, didn't you know didn't really feel like I got along with my bus really well, um, and, and and I was also uh, you know I, I was asked to do some things that I just wasn't really comfortable with the way I was tracking my time for clients and things like that, and just felt like it, you know it was the, the the things I was asked to do and the and the time I was spending on projects um, just really got to me after a while, and uh, my wife and I had just had a um, a little girl and. Um, I had some, um, and I'll, I'll have to back up to actually tell you um, how Genius Games started kind of parallel to this process, but um, my wife and I knew that something needed to change, and that change ended up being um, Genius Games. So um, uh, let me know if you want me to pause and if you have any questions about that, but well, I'm going to tell you the, the, the Genius Games story that's parallel to that. All right, well, actually, I have a few, and I wanted to make sure you got your, your story out there, and my yeah. a, a couple of things obviously you know finding finding the military after you know going through so so many personal struggles did you feel that going into the military was something that you needed to do consciously from a structure standpoint because you know it takes it takes some it take it takes some brass ones to wake up as as a teenager and go yeah i'm going to sign up and go and and put my life on the line you know i kind of want to want to start there because it yeah. it's it's a decision that's not to be taken lightly, especially when, you know, you're going through through so many different uh, stages of hardship. Now, with that, you know, where where did that where did that come from? You know, did you have anyone in the in, in the military background in your fa- in, in your family? What what kind of pushed you? What gave you that kick to go into that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I did have a lot of family in the military, but but um, I have to say that it, it wasn't. Uh, their experiences weren't didn't really make a very positive impact on me. Okay. Um, my my grandpa was was in um, World War II and he came back with you know really serious um, traumatic you know post traumatic stress and um, was a very well, a very violent person and and he um, uh, my father adopted a lot of that same behavior. He was in the Navy. Um, he wasn't. My my father wasn't in World War II or anything like my like my grandpa was, but he adopted my my father's you know violent aggressive behavior. Right. And so yeah, and that's one of the reasons why early on you know it was it was a difficult childhood because because you know my my father couldn't really control his temper for most most of the time, and that's part of the reason why I left. So the military at that point it wasn't like you know I was I was. I had the pride to carry on the family line or anything like that. Mm. But I did, you know, I did feel like there was a lot of structure in society that was given to me because of, um, because of, um, what, what our, what our government was, um, at that point. You know, I, I think, I think there's a lot of things that, that are wrong with our current political system. I think there's a lot of things that are wrong with our government. But man, you know, one thing that I, I do feel blessed by is that we've got clean drinking water. We've got, we do have access to a lot of things that that around the world people just don't have access to, um, and I've experienced that firsthand in in many ways. You know, traveling around the world, both with the military and and with other other groups. So, so at that time, I did kind of feel like you know, I this is a good this would be a good thing for me to do. Um, I'll make good money. I'll learn a lot. Um, it'll that you know, having the military service on on your resume, if you will. Um, is a great thing to do. Uh, you know, I'll figure out how to to be more disciplined. I'll learn a lot of skills that will be useful. And I'll, you know, a lot of that when I was I was I was sixteen, seventeen. You know, a lot of that's pretty naive. Yep. But um, you don't really know what you're getting into. <laughs> um, 
but at the same time, it was like, you know, this is, this is a good option for, for me. Um, you know, cause I wasn't really sure what other options there, there were. So yeah, that's, yeah, I, I'm not sure if there was really any one really strong thread, but that, that's um, how I'd probably answer that. How were you, were you, you know, just cognizant of the fact that you, that there would be, you know, it's like, hey, I may see combat in the future. You know, I may get shot at, you know, because at 17 years old, it's like, see the world, you know, the, the pitch, you, you know how it is when, when, yeah. when, when people are, are, are trying to recruit, especially in schools. It used to be, you know, see the world, you know, get a free ride to college, et cetera, et cetera. Were you, were you kind of in the know, like, hey, you know, this could, especially because during that, that time, you know, from 2001, you know, post 9-11, things were, yeah. things were, things were, were interesting if you were getting ready to join the armed forces, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely had a little bit of excitement about that, you know, the, the patriotism of it and the idea of being like a, you know, um, a soldier, possibly a hero, like those kinds of things. But, you know, at, at that point, at that age, like it, it was, it was more, it, it was so idealized, you know, right. it wasn't, yeah, you know, it, it was it was sort of like monopoly money. You know, you're you're, you're it, it's not it's not the real thing until you actually go out there and do it and realize, dang, this is this is to, this, this is not as <laughs> it's not what I signed up for. And, oh no, yeah, <laughs> it's it's very different in reality. Um, yeah, so that so yeah, I, I did have some some of that going on. You know, I I did have. A, a, I mean, I'm still a very idealistic person. Um, I, I was at that point and I still am maybe, maybe a bit less now, a bit more of a realist now, but yeah, I, you know, I, I wanted to be a soldier. I wanted to, you know, um, have, have that honor and, uh, and carry that burden. And, but, you know, I didn't really know what that was, what that was like. You see stuff, you see combat and movies and things like that. And most of the time it's completely, completely different, um, than, than what you see in movies. So, oh yeah, absolutely. I think, I think part of, part of the, the misnomer, is that many people have, like I said, they're looking at, at the, at the, at the shiny polish without right. looking at the grit that goes into it. And I think, you know, that's why I wanted to ask you about that because at, at that age, it's like, it's like you're 17 years old. It's like, you know, we're trying to figure we're trying to figure things out, so to speak. And then it's like, yeah, I'm, I just figured out I want to go in the military. All right. And I'm going to, you know, forge my parents signature to do it. Like it, like it takes a, a lot to just decide that. And some people it's like, they get there and to your point they don't they don't know what they signed up for and then when they get there they're like well i can't leave and then it kind of just you know they don't join they don't join the military by choice but the military kind of joins bonds with their dna by force you know it's like by that point you can't leave so (laughs) you got to kind of make the most of it unless you know you you do something crazy and like shoot yourself in the foot (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah so now let's let's switch gears a little bit. You you know you leave the military, you go into the private sector. Um, you you're working, you're doing an engineering job, and you know it's interesting. I find that you're like, I didn't like my job, I didn't like this, I didn't like the her, the personal things I had to do. Was part of that a, a because you know you're in the military, you're kind of listening, you're kind of doing what they tell you for so long that you reach a point that you're like, wait a minute, that's just not right. And, and, and a switch clicked or was it something where it was, you know, water on the stone and it just was the drip constantly and you're like, nope, can't do it. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a little bit of both. It was kind of a complicated situation. You know, I, I feel like I am a very, very active person. Um, you know, my friends and my wife make jokes about how I can't like sit down for more than a few seconds. Um, I just always want to be doing something. I always want to be working on something. I, I always want to be doing something 
um, creative or productive or proactive. And when I was working at that job, there just wasn't there wasn't a whole lot to keep me busy. Um, and I felt like, man, I, 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 I don't feel right about just like doing personal work or, you know, um, planning a vacation or like checking my personal email and calling my friends. But what am I? I'm just sitting here like I'm just sitting here doing nothing. And it drove me crazy. Um, but I had to build that time somewhere. Yep. So, you know, they they essentially they, they wanted you to build the projects. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not going to build the projects. I said, well, you, you have to. You've got to build something. Um, and so I was in this difficult position where I'm billing time to projects that I didn't actually work. And that just – I couldn't do it. You know, I, I ethically, I couldn't do it. And uh, it, was a, it was great money. You know, I, 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 uh, I definitely lost a lot of uh, revenue potential leaving a job like that to go out on my own and try and make something. But for, you know, for the purposes of my soul and for the happiness and for me to come home as a good husband and a good father to my children and, and feel good about who I am and what I'm doing, I just I couldn't do that any longer. Um, and, and, the, and you know, the other thing, I think when you, you know, pe- people want to be a part of, of something that matters, right? People 100%. want to be a part of like a team. They want relationships that matter. And um, I didn't really feel like I was getting any of that. Like what I was doing really mattered, that it made an impact on the world. And, you know, if I would look forward 40 or 50 years and say, do I regret anything about my life? If I would have stayed there, that would have been a regret. And looking back, the fact that I lost the salary that I had and but made the decisions for my personal health and who I was, I don't regret that one bit. Um, and when you think about what it, you know, what, when you think about what it means, if you if you think about the great bosses that you've had, or the um, or maybe the great peers, coworkers that you've had, and the ones that were just total failures, you don't think about you don't think about how technically savvy they were, how intelligent they were, how smart they were. That you think about things that are that have to do much more with emotional intelligence. Hundred percent. Right? You think about how kind they were. You think about how empathetic they were. How good of listeners they were. Right. Th- those are the kinds of things that you think about. And so, you know, those are the kind of attributes that are very hard to find in people. Um, and I definitely did not find that in the in the engineering sphere that that I was in at that point. Um, and that was something that really mattered to me. So, so yeah, it was it was a lot of those things combined. Well, you know, a crisis of conscience sometimes is what it takes to 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 kind of jumpstart things and to see that you know the grass might be greener on the other side. Because to your point, I'm sure you must have been like, man, if I quit this job, this money's good. You get used to living a certain way. You know, you're like, yes. all right, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And and I'm sure that because of that, you it, it, there was definitely a lot of a lot of weighing of options until you decided to to go into Genius Games, which leads us into that. So you said that the creation of Genius Games, it, it, it you know, it's funny. Uh, somebody said to me, you know, if you don't if you don't like your job, you got to look at it as you're using your job to fund your dream. And I kind of yeah. want to go down that path because is that is that kind of where you were at the at the origin of, of genius games where, where the job was funding the dream. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good point. Um, and, and that, that was kind of what was happening with, with what I was doing. So while I was, while I was working as an engineer, I was also teaching chemistry part time in the evenings and through this whole process through the process, um, when I was studying the sciences and getting my degree in that, and while I was teaching chemistry and teaching and tutoring other sciences, um, what I noticed was so many of my students would come into the classroom and they would already be intimidated by the content. 
They were already, they already thought it was like too difficult for them, that they weren't really good enough. There was so much social pressure about learning sciences because I feel like we've created this culture of if you know science, you are intelligent. And if you don't, you are not intelligent. Yep. Right. We've, cre- we've created so much social pressure around it. And then students come in and they're, they're just, they're just overwhelmed. And when you get very basic analogies of things, they totally understand. And when you teach it well, they understand because it's not that difficult and they're definitely capable. But they've got so many barriers when they walk into the classroom. And then I couple that with um, these same students and all of my other friends while we um, – I, I would be at a gaming night um, playing board games with some of my friends. And they just they, – they would memorize so much information about, say, a sci-fi world or a sci-fi race that doesn't even exist in reality. And I'm like, what in the world? Why can't I get my students to, to think like this, to behave like this, to memorize like this? My students would talk about the craziest information about sports or about games, video games and things like that, other things going on. And I'm like, why can't I get them to think about science like this? And that's when I kind of thought, you know what, what if I, what if I tried to make some board games about chemistry, about biology, about physics, about these scientific topics that I'm trying to teach my students. And like anyone um, early on who wants to create something who hasn't done it before, you realize that you're pretty terrible at it. And that's okay <laughs> because you haven't done it before. Uh, and I was – the first couple games I made were just awful, um, really really bad stuff. But I kept at it. Um, I, I put those games in front of more people. I asked for feedback. I learned how to be a very, very good listener, um, even when the feedback was harsh and um, um, maybe even offensive. But you have to you have to get down to the bottom of, you know, what is it that is working and what is not working? And and how do I capitalize on what is working and how do I change the things that are not working? And I think that's just good advice no matter what you're doing, no matter if it's uh, life experiences or you're trying to create something or you're just trying to become a better person. You know, what am I doing that is not working and how do I change it? And what am I doing that is working and how do I capitalize on that and amplify that? In order to do that, you have to be a very patient, humble listener. And that's a skill sometimes you just can't teach. You, you just someone's just got to find it on their own. Right. hundred percent. So. So, yeah, that was that that's how that that process worked. And that was kind of the, the impetus behind it. And, and, you know, at that point, I also was just I loved board games. I was a huge board gamer and. And I just wanted I just wanted to play something that was real, right? There, I, I played so many games that were sci-fi fiction games, and, no, and I'm not I'm not talking down on them at all. They're really great games. It's really fun stuff. But every once in a while, I'm like, man, I want to play a game about like you know something about human biology or something about chemistry, and and just geek out on it because because I'm a geek and I, I think games are fun and get some science friends together and, and play something like that, that, that we can just feel clever and feel smart about, you know? Um, so that was, that was the, the, the launch of the first few ideas. And the first game that I decided, you know what, I think this is good enough to try and publish was a game called linkage, a DNA card game. Um, and I was looking for publishers that were willing to publish a, a hard science themed game. And most of them were kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's going to work. You know, I don't think there's any demand for something like that. I was like, no, I, I you know, I think there is. And, um, you know, for the most part, I, I just put my money where my mouth is because I couldn't find a publisher and decided, you know what, I'll, I'll publish it myself. I knew nothing about publishing. I knew nothing. Maybe I knew nothing about, you know, the military before I joined. I knew nothing about, you know, so many things in my life before I started doing them. I knew nothing about publishing before I started a publishing company. And, um, and I essentially just got 
got my hands dirty, jumped in head first, right? You, 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 uh, the faster you fail early on, the quicker you're going to learn how to do it right. And the quicker you'll be successful. Um, and, and so I just jumped in head first. Um, I, I heard from a number of people that Kickstarter was a great way to launch a product. So I started learning how to use Kickstarter and, um, that process led me to a blog called, uh, from, from a, a company called Stonemeyer Games, Jamie Stegmeyer here in St. Louis. He has one of the, you know, best blogs, I think, in the world on how to use Kickstarter. So I read all of those and then um, created a Kickstarter campaign, and we launched Linkage in uh, October of 2014. And we needed, um, I think it was about $2,500, maybe a little more, maybe $3,500 we needed at that point to print 500 copies and get those out to all of the backers. And we ended up raising um, almost, I think, almost $13,000. And we ended up printing two and a half thousand copies of the game, so it was a, it was a, it was a pretty huge success. And, and I did I did that actually. I, I think that was part time um, while I was still um, working as an engineer. That was kind of the thing that like really kept me going. And um, at that point, I decided, you know what? I think there's something here. Let me try it again. So I tried it again with a follow up game called Peptide, a protein building game. It was sort of the biological follow up to Linkage. Um, where in, in peptide you are you are essentially mimicking the process that our body goes through to build proteins, which is a it, you know it takes it takes RNA, which is a copy of DNA. DNA is like our genetic code, defines everything about our, our physical body, and that copy goes onto a ribosome and essentially prints amino, chains of amino acids. And these amino acids are like coded from that DNA, and they fold into proteins. And the proteins are like the structure of our entire body, right? It's just, it's just beautiful, brilliant process that that um, our body goes through millions of times um, a day. And so I made a game about that, ended up um, raising, I think, sixteen or $17,000. Um, and I was like, you know what? At this point, I feel like there's something here. I feel like there's something viable. Went home and talked to my wife. We had just had a little girl at that point, um, Honora. And I said, I, I can't. I can't stay at my job anymore. You know, I feel miserable. I feel like it's it's ripping the soul out of out of my chest. But I could. I think I can publish these board games. But um, we have to sell our house. We have oh, to boy. sell our nice cars. You know, we we have to move into the city and and make a huge lifestyle change. And she said it's worth it. You know, so so we did it and we moved into the city. It was just a terrible little two bedroom apartment with peel peeling paint chips and cockroaches and just a, a disgusting place but we saved so much money and launched the company out of those sacrifices you know so it's yeah it was it was a it was just an incredible uh incredible time that i look back and think like man i am just blessed to have the spouse that i have right now well i was about you to know, say she, that <laughs> yeah that's, that's a hell of a partner you have and i think that makes it that's that's something that's very very important you know people don't understand until they they've been in the trenches you know when you mm -hmm. when you want to start a business or you want to start your dream it's it's a thing where you need to surround yourself with people that share that fire with you because what ends up happening is a lot of a lot of businesses don't just fail because the person loses steam or or lack of funds but just lack of belief you know people just don't sit yeah. there and, and say hey you know this is great or and and you also need the people that will you know just call you out on your on on your on your BS you know they'll be like hey oh, yeah. you know this isn't gonna work or or you got to do this and and then you have to make those those hard choices so I think that's you know that's huge to to your success was that you had a partner that was willing to 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 jump into the fire with you and that's that's important.
Right. Yes, absolutely. Probably one of the most important things that you can have in life, right? Those relationships. People, like you said, are willing to call you out when when they think you're wrong. And man, if you if you're able to listen to that, you, you're going to be so much better off. So much better off. And the people who are able to, to be there and encourage you and support you when things are difficult, or even when things are going well, to celebrate with you, right? Those those relationships are probably one of the most important things we can find in life. Well, I did want to ask. So, in the midst of you, so you were working the engineering gig, but you were also teaching, you said. I want yes. to ask a little bit about that because again, just a just a just a crazy path, you know? What what how'd you decide, hey, I want to teach? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um so I have I've just always loved teaching. Um and I've always been very good at it. I've always been very gifted. Um uh, and and I, so I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you I think why and it's kind of more of a personal story but my so my mother um, my mother was actually in a car accident when she was 16 years old and she had to learn everything all over again when she woke up she was in a coma for three months and they thought she was going to die and um, her brother ended up dying in from the car accident they they got they got hit by a trucker um, who fell asleep at the wheel hit him head on and essentially ejected most of the people from the vehicle and um, when she woke up from the coma she didn't know who she was um, she had a lot of pretty severe mental and physical um, disabilities from from the accident and um, as she grew up um, a lot of those um, a lot of the difficulties that she had some of the disabilities she had you know st- stayed around it wasn't something that that got much better so you know early on, I didn't really notice until I was, uh, you know, early adolescence that that how 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 bad the the uh, the the uh, what she was dealing with from the accident was. But but I did begin to notice that, like, you know, there's something really different about my mom compared to everyone else's mom. And but but early on, one of the one of the um, great things that came out of that was that um, I learned how to. Um, talk about complicated topics in a way that was very like simple and basic and use those basic principles to build on to more complicated principles and learned how to patiently talk about those things. Um, and, and so that was, you know, definitely a gift from, from my mom because of some of her, her disabilities. And I think, um, because of that, when I would explain topics in, in the classroom um, to my peers while I was learning these things, um, it, I, I just it, I realized that I was very gifted at taking a really complicated topic, breaking it down into its most fundamental components, and then explaining those basic components, those fundamentals, and then building on them to to reveal the complexity of that topic. And that was something that helped me to become a really good teacher. And I always felt really good when I would when I'd be tutoring or helping other students out. Um, when I was still getting my my degree, and um, afterwards I was actually tutoring a, a bunch of students um, at at St. Louis Community College while I was just you know working as as an engineer, and um, at that time the, these students actually their professor wasn't wasn't doing very very well, and um, they weren't really really learning a lot and they weren't having a good time, but they learned most of what they knew about chemistry outside of the classroom from me while I was tutoring them, <laughs> and then um, lo and behold. Um, it's kind of a, a tragic situation, but the professor's son actually passed away during wow. the time while they were teaching. And he left and essentially said, hey, look, I'm sorry, but I can't come back. 
And the school had all these nursing students that needed to pass this chemistry course because it was a required course, and they had no one to teach it. Well, the, those students immediately went to the, the dean and said, someone's been tutoring most of, uh, uh, most of the students in this class. He knows this stuff better than the professor knows this stuff. Um, I think he'd be willing to take over the class. So I actually went in for an interview that afternoon. They hired me that afternoon, gave me the textbook, and I started lecturing the next morning. Wow. It was a, yeah, it was an intense process. Um, but man, I just, it was, it was just so thrilling. I mean, it was so thrilling to, to feel like, you know, the, the, the stuff I had worked for really mattered to these people. It really mattered to, to that universe, to the university or to the college. And it really mattered to their, to their lives because they needed to pass this class. And like, and there was something I could do right now to like really affect the trajectory of 30 different students. And it was just, it was just so thrilling and so fulfilling at the same time. Um, and also a learning experience because, you know, it was my first time in a very, very professional setting, standing in front of 30 students trying to teach them chemistry. And I, and I had never actually like lectured right <laughs> much about, about something before, but it was, it was, um, just, yeah, it was just a great process. So that, that's how I, I started teaching. And then, um, I just got really good reviews and kept it up and, um, yeah. And mind you that just, uh, just to go back, you went into this because you were tutoring. You didn't, again, you didn't wake up on a, on a Monday morning and say, you know what? I want to be a teacher. You kind of, <laughs> it kind of just went that route because you were already, you had a, the fundamental from your engineering background, correct? Right, right, yeah, yeah. I was tutoring just because I love. I mean, I loved the sciences. I loved chemistry, and I was really good at it. And so, I mean, I had some friends in the class, and that's really why I was tutoring because the friends asked me if I would help them, and I said, well, "Of course, I'll help you." Um, and so I was tutoring a group of them just for free because I liked. I just loved the content. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's a good. It was kind of a good life lesson for me. You know, a lot of people have asked me, um, "Do you feel like your success is uh, um, something that you?" did is it the result of your own actions or is it just like luck and i you know i think obviously the answer is a combination of both but you know if if you if you have uh if you have a six-sided dice and you and you need to roll a six and you don't roll it on your first time and you stop there well that was luck yeah. but if you decide to keep rolling it over and over and over again until you roll what you need that's not luck anymore you know that's that's tenacity um, that's grit. Um, and putting yourself in the positions to make yourself successful, working hard just to, to make yourself better and to give yourself opportunity. That's grit. That's tenacity. That's not luck. Um, and, and so, I mean, I would encourage everyone to, to, to work your tail off, to put yourself out there, to give back. And people are going to notice that, right? People are going to notice that and they're going to, they're going to want what you have. Now, you know, as, as you were building genius games, you were still also teaching and you were still also working at the same time. How did you, how did you juggle that time? You also, you also were a new, a new dad at the time, right? How did you, how, where, how did you compartmentalize everything to be able to dedicate, you know, different parts of your day to these, to these different aspects of your life? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, it, it I learned a lot about time management. Um, I also learned a lot about prioritization um, and I learned a lot about what, yeah, what's most important in life at that point. Um, I would say that I think some of the things I regret about that time are how much of the time with my, with my wife and with my kid, I sacrificed in order to build some of those things that I was doing. Um, I think I could have still built them and had as much success had I known how to properly manage my time mm -hmm. and how to properly prioritize things. 
You know, I think I think there's a big difference between things that are important and things that feel urgent. And um, the important things we know are important, but they always get uh, they they always get discarded for the things that are urgent because the urgent is right now, and I got to do it right now. And it doesn't matter if it's in reality, it's not even that important. Um, and so I, I think during that time, I just I learned a lot about that. Um, about the, the the difference between things that are important and things that are urgent, and trying to figure out how do I I I only have you know X hours today to work on the things I need to work on. What are the most important things I can do with that time? Instead of looking at my my inbox and saying, Oh gosh, I got I got twenty urgent emails. I got to answer all of them. No, you don't have to. What is the what is the one most important thing you should do right now and do that thing? Um, and I would say. That a number of those times, the most important thing I should have been doing was spending time with my family, spending time with my daughter, spending time with my wife, and I didn't. Um, and and you know, but my my wife is very gracious, and we've talked a lot about that, and um, you know, talk so, so that we can figure out how we move forward and and you know fix things like that. But yeah, that I, I would say I, I I didn't I definitely look back on that time. I don't think I managed it well. So. Um, it, it wasn't like I've got the, you know, the, the silver bullet for, for how to do that. But oh, I no. think now I do it much better knowing how to manage my time much better. Well, now, now with Genius Games, when, at what point when you decided to quit your job, did you move into this apartment and say to yourself, okay, we're in this apartment. I need to get out of this apartment. As soon as you put the key in, you said to yourself, I need to get out of this apartment in 12 months. Did you set, did you set an expectation for yourself at that point? Did, did was, was that a driving force to to keep Genius Games moving and to keep yourself moving? Because it's one thing you said about not being able to stay still. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I I think that would have been pretty wise had I done that. Pretty healthy <laughs> had I done that, but unfortunately I didn't. Um, we were there, I think, for a year and a half to two years. And it really, it just, we moved out because we got to the point where we just couldn't handle it anymore and we needed more space. Right. Um, yeah. But we, I think that would have been great if I would have said, okay, here's the goal. We're going to be here for 12 months and we need to make, you know, X dollars in revenue or profit in order to move up to the next thing that we're doing. And that would have been a great, that would have been probably a very great goal. Um, but we didn't do that. It was more just, we got to the point where we're like, okay, we can't handle this anymore. We got, we need more space. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, you know, when you when you first started turning a profit, what did you you know, how did you well, the, but let me let me rephrase that. How how was your first day when you turned a profit doing what you love? How did you know, how did you feel? What did you what did you do when you looked? Did you look at a statement? Did you say, "Hey, you know, I don't have to do X this month." Like what was that? What was that kind of that that lightning bolt that so to speak that said hey you know i'm on the right i'm on the right track yeah no that's a great question um well the interesting thing about using crowdfunding platforms like we like we were launching products to kickstarter is that we were actually profitable immediately oh, and okay. so, so a lot of times you know you if you're if you launch a company you need capital investment right you need mm -hmm. money to pay for your um, your rent, your utilities, your salary, all those overhead costs. And then right. you also, if you, if you have a consumer product or a physical product, um, you need money for inventory. Well, the, the, the kind of the beauty of where I was, I had a full-time job. So that paid my rent. That paid most of my, my bills, all of my bills. Um, we had reduced all those bills down even more. So we had some excess funds. And then um, with Kickstarter, 
I mean, the way that platform works is you have an idea for a product or something that you want to launch. People are giving money up front before they receive the product so that you can use that money to finish the production. And so it's almost like a pre-order system, but I don't want to call it a pre-order system because it's so much more about the community and building that product together with your community, with your backers. But so you have all that money up front before you manufacture and before you ship. And um, the challenge, though, with that is so we were profitable like right away. Once we before we ever manufactured anything or spent much money on it, um, we we had money coming in already before we even shipped that product out. The challenge, though, is not to look at all of that money as yours. Right? Exactly. Um, that's what. That's where I was. That's where you were. Uh, that's why I was leading the question to next, and that's yeah. the next part of it. You know, how did you de- make that determination about you know, hey, we're going to price this as X, and out of X, this is the build cost. This is what it's going to cost to, uh, you know keep the lights on, et cetera, et cetera. While I, while I do understand that you were, you know, obviously using your nine to five, so to speak, to, to fund the company, there's still right. some, there's still some profitability. There's still some scale there that I'm sure you were accounting for. How'd you, how'd you come up with the right metrics and the right figures to know that, Hey, this is what the, what the game is going to cost. This is what it's going to cost for manufacturing. And that's the next part of of my question is, you know, how did you, get this manufactured when you published your first game yeah all great questions so i i had the benefit of having a background in engineering so i've been very good at math and building models for for quite a while it's one of the things i really enjoy is you know building a model to answer a question like that but at that time i didn't have much information so really what really what i did is um there's a number of blogs out there, including Jamie Stegmeyer's blog. Um, you can it, you could probably also find that I think if you just Google search Kickstarter lessons, and and he's got an enormous amount of of information and advice about about how to do that, and links to other sites that show you specifics. Um, and through all of that, what I realized is um, there's so the the distribution model for hobby games it's called it's called a three tiered system. You essentially have um, the publisher, who's the one who creates the game and pays for manufacturing, and then you have the distributor. The distributor usually buys directly from the publisher at 60% off, and then that distributor, after buying it at 60% off, sells it to the retailer, which is the third tier, at 50% off. And that retailer then sells it to your end user, the end customer. And there's a few exceptions to that, but, that, but that's the basic, that's the most um, um, right, the uh, fundamental of the, of the process, right? And and because of that, there's there's something called the um, the five X rule of thumb, and that means that you you really if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, manufacture and publish a a physical product, then your your landing cost shouldn't be any more or sh- or should be at least um, um, one fifth of the total MSRP. So when you take your landing cost. Say uh, um, for for our game, say your landing cost is ten dollars, then it, that 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 product needs to retail for at least fifty dollars, five x that, preferably more. If you can do sixty or seventy dollars, even better, even more margin. And that's because of that three tier distribution system, because you're going to be selling it. So imagine if 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 that's a if that game is fifty dollars, you're going to be selling it to the distributor who's getting sixty percent off. You're going to be selling to them for twenty dollars. And so um, you need to if you if your landing cost is ten dollars and you're selling it to them at twenty dollars, you've only got ten dollars of actual profit there on a, a fifty dollar game. 
Um, but that $10 profit that you've just made, you've got to think, well, that product has to be shipped as well. Okay, well, that's going to eat into that $10. I also have to keep my lights on. I have to pay for the artist to do the file prep and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's all these other sunk costs that that $10 is going to have to pay for. Um, and and if you get much lower, right, if it's say a if, – if you have a, a product that, that manufactures or that you have a landing cost of, of $10 for and you try and sell it for $30 – Man, now you're in bad shape because you're 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 going to sell that that thirty dollar game to a distributor for what twelve dollars? You're going to you're maybe, behind you're the eight have ball. a landing cost of ten. Like you're you're going to lose money. Yep, you're behind the eight ball then for sure. Right, and landing cost. What landing cost is is it's the combination of manufacturing as well as freight, getting it from the manufacturer to your warehouse, and both of those are fairly significant costs. Um, and these are all things that I just learned through through practice, through um, talking to people. Uh, I, I say the, the three the three best things that you can do are number one, go out and find blogs. There's all kinds of blogs that talk about this stuff. Number two, there are Facebook groups with advice for stuff like this, and you would you would never imagine the kind of Facebook groups that are out there. But there's a few that are specific to like board game industry and board game publishing and Kickstarter and You'll have thousands of people in those groups that are willing to help and answer questions like this. If you just say, "How do I? How do I know? How do I know um, what I should um, price my product at? Um, what should the MSRP be, or what should the retail cost be?" You'll you'll be able to go any of any of those groups and you know find all kinds of answers. And then that third is just find other people who have done it who are willing to give you advice and mentor you through that process. Um, and those are, those I feel like are three things that I took advantage of: finding people that would answer questions and mentor me through the process, um, posting in these Facebook groups and and other and other forums where you have lots of people who already know this information, um, and then also just finding blogs out there. You can you can learn how to do almost anything. If you're willing to learn and you're willing to listen and you're willing to do the research and find the information. Now, you know, you, you, you've had your, your products featured in, in many different publications, but I wanted to talk about your national science teachers endorsement. Um, yeah. how, 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 man, that must have, that must have given you a shot in the arm when, when, yeah. when that happened. You know, to, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it was, it was, um, it was a fairly anticlimactic process. We, we, um, we went to a few of the conventions, the National Science Teachers Association conventions and demoed our games and the teachers really loved them. And then we heard that there's this thing called, um, NSTA recommends. And, and it's essentially you send them product. They play it with some of their teachers. The teachers play it in the classroom and they either say, yeah, we like this. And they give you the recommendation or they say, nah, probably not for us. And then they don't. Well, we sent in, you know, Ion, a compound building game. The teachers played it and they came back and said, hey, we really like it. So you can, you know, put NSDA recommends on the box. And I mean, that was basically it. But yeah, it was, it, I mean, it was a huge shot in the arm, like you say, because um, it was the, it was the first major endorsement yep. from from a organization from a from a credible organization that that we were then able to use and say, look, our, these these aren't just fun games and they're not just science themed. This is actually endorsed by the National Science Teachers Association, right? That carries a lot of weight with it. 100%. So yeah, it was it was um it was a fairly simple process to get done. Um, believe it or not, a lot of the stuff that we've done that had a huge impact was actually really really simple. We just had to do it. We just had to say, like, well, let's try this. Did it work? Nope. Okay, that's fine. It was it only took us, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Let's try something else. Did it work? Hey, that worked. Wow, that's a huge outcome, right? I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta try stuff. Yep. No failures, only lessons. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, like, what, 
Wayne, Wayne Gretzky said, um, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That's right. right. Just take the shot. <laughs> now, you know, you, you, now you're, you're running genius games. You're also still teaching, but you're teaching entrepreneurship and crowdfunding. I saw. And, that's um, right. Get, I, and game I, design as well. Ah, there you go. So, so you, you're kind of now you've taken your passions, you're paying it forward. And now you're, you're teaching all of these things. And I wanted to just touch on that real quick, you know, teaching entrepreneurship now to young people. I'm sure obviously you're going to impart your lessons to your children first. Um, you know, how does, how does that feel now? Think about it. You went from all of this trial by fire, so to speak, to, to launch this business built on hard work and genuine sacrifice. And now you're paying it forward. Are you, do you feel accomplished? Is I guess that's the word I want to use. Do you feel accomplished now when you look back because you took that first step and you got out of that that job that was, you know, like you said, was was soul sucking? Do you feel accomplished now that you're able to just pay it forward in in, in this way, teaching others to, to build and follow their dream? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would. Abs- I would absolutely say so. And it's it's you know, it it's a really difficult thing to think about um, about how how I feel about it, but I'll try and articulate that, you know, cause I think, I think there's, there's a lot of, of, of maybe advice that can come out of that. I feel like in a lot of ways, um, kind of like what, how we talked about earlier, that a lot of this success is the combination of, um, of hard work, of tenacity, of grit, um, and maybe also some luck. But again, I would say, you know, you, you, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. <laughs> and if you want to roll a six, you just keep rolling and rolling and rolling until you hit it. And, and a lot of the, one of the things I learned really early on, um, because I grew up in such a, a interesting environment where I could literally just go out at a very early age and not come back for days at a time, people would tell me, no, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And I'd say, why? Yep. Sometimes it was because it was a law and sometimes because someone just decided. And guess what? The person who decides you can't do that can also decide that you can do that. But as kids, we're just taught that that the the world is very structured and these boundaries are concrete boundaries and you can't go through them. But then every once in a while, you're like, I'm just going to run through that as hard as I can and let's see if it's actually a cloud of smoke. And it is. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, all this stuff, when people tell me no now, a lot of times I'm like, well, why not? Well, because of this. Okay. Well, what if I did it this way? Uh, yeah, I guess you could do that. Great. I just, I, I'm not being rude or I'm not, I'm not, tr- I'm not trying You're to be difficult. I'm just, I'm just want to know where's the real boundary here. Why can't, can we do this or not do this? Um, and that's helped me. I mean, that's helped me in, in so many ways. And I think, you know, I, I think, um, as an adult now, just learning, learning to take risks that are calculated risks, learning to, Ask questions about why you can and can't do things. Um, putting yourself out there and just working hard, and and but also being patient and being a good listener and learning from the people who are wiser and who know more than you. These these are the things that you that you will do to become successful. And I think a lot of these things are just they're just attributes of being a good human, right? It, it's not like it's not like I don't think that I'm any smarter yep. than anyone else or 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 anything like that. I think that. I do think that there are some virtues that I have possibly gained through very difficult circumstances mm-hmm. that that I think have made me very successful. Um, but it's but they're things that if if anyone wants them, you can have them. They're they're there. They're at your fingertips. You just have to have the patience and willingness to actually work to have to get them. 
Yep, I mean pressure pressure makes diamonds and I think you've That's endured right. enough pressure to, to to come out to come out pretty pretty sparkly when it's all said and done, you know? Yeah. Well now, I appreciate that. Well I, I gotta ask, you know, you know, talking about the why and questioning a lot of things. Now as a parent, do do your kids hit you with that too? <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a, As, do you watch it and you're like, damn, they, they got me. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes my wife looks at me when I, when our daughter's being very difficult. She's very honorary. She, she is, I mean, it's, she will say that she will, she will sometimes pose questions to us like this. Mom, dad, do you, should, do you, would you rather me have a treat right now or watch a video? <laughs> And we're like, oh, um, well, maybe watch a video. No, no, neither. <laughs> what, what? How did you learn how to do that? Oh, you know, it's man. like very clever, deceptive little little tricks that she does. Um, and when you tell her no, she will she will either um, if she doesn't throw a tantrum, she, she knows negotiate. how to put on the charm. Oh man, you know, she's like, oh yeah. And and I and I give into it because I'm like, you know what? Part of this, I I want you to see that your voice has power, yep. right? I want you to see that there are certain things that you can get, even though we say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't have that. That, you know what? You you probably still can if you ask the right way. If you go about it the right way, you probably can still have that even though we said no. Or we can we, we, we do a lot of, um, um, we've used the, the term um, compromise a lot. Mm-hmm. Where she'll, she'll say now, well, can we make a compromise? Wow. Like, okay. Well, what's your idea? And she's like, well, what if I eat most of my dinner? Then can I have the treat? Yes. That's a great compromise. You, um, you know, and just, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing though. Cause sometimes she'll be real honoring. And my wife will look at me and just say, this is your fault. These yep. are your genes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what it is, is you were, you were sharing your story. I said that a lot of it, you know, a lot of that wander, you, it was mostly obviously cause you didn't want to be in the situation you were in, but you were also, it was also self discovery at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, I think, you know, that, that some of that stuff, you, you needed, I guess you needed that vision quest to put you where you needed to be now. Right. Right. So before, before we move into, into the next part of our, of our episode with the hot seat, I do have to ask about pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. I have to ask about pancakes number one, because I love pancakes and, um, I think IHOP was doing free pancake day. Uh, this week, oh, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it, dangerous. As as soon as I read, as soon as I read up on that, I said, "Oh man, I gotta ask him about pancakes because I'm a I I have very specific rules with pancakes, and I need I need to know where you stand." All right, all right. So so I actually used to cook at IHOP. I was there for a couple of years. Oh man, and, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And during that time, I. I just learned a lot about making. I love breakfast. I love breakfast. And actually, we had a, we had a bunch of friends over um, last Sunday night before we where, before I flew out to this game convention that I'm at now. And um, I cooked breakfast for dinner for for four or five different families, and it was just a it was just a great time. So I'm still a, a huge you know breakfast and breakfast for dinner fan. So um, while I was there, I I fell in love pretty hard with pancakes and and learned this process of, of how what I think how to make a, a, a perfect pancake um, and then and what was even more cool is through through working there um, there was this old lady that would come in all the time and um, and I through through watching her and talking to her she actually had this process for how once the pancake is cooked and served to her how you properly butter and syrup the pancake so that uh-huh. you can actually eat the perfect pancake as well. Oh man! And it just oh yeah, it, it's a it's an incredible process. So 
with with that said, you know, the and and I'm sure you took some lessons from that obviously. Number 1, I got to tell you, I'm I'm a big breakfast for dinner person too. All right. I'm a, I'm a big fan um and and a huge fan of pancakes like I said, I'm a I have to make sure when I go out to eat and my wife laughs, I'll be like, listen, I need them edges crispy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and I, I tell them that and then, you know, it's a, a good, a good place. They'll be like, yep, we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And I, and I, and I'm sure, I'm sure your kids probably love when you make them pancakes. <laughs> oh man. It's yeah. That's like the highlight of their week when we make pancakes. There you go. But I try not make them too often because I mean, it's, that's a lot of yep. that's a lot of carbs and gluten and a lot of butter and fat and a lot of syrup and sugar and yeah it's just oh yeah how did, we get, how did we get away as a culture of like eating fried cake for yep. breakfast I mean that's just crazy well you know it's it's funny because uh you know we were I was talking to a, to a friend of mine and he was like yeah you know you got to buy this and you got to get this organic stuff and this and this and this and and I'm all for all of that and but then I said to him I'm like listen man some of our family members live till their 80s. 90s eating the worst stuff you know and and, yeah. he, and he's like oh, yeah. he's like yeah you know you're right because because if you think about it it's like you go you can you can have the best diet in the world you can go to the gym five times a week but if you're genetically predispositioned to get an illness guess what you're still gonna get <laughs> an illness you right. know like that's yep. that, like, yeah. like that's why like it, like you know and it, it's funny that your your enthusiasm talking about that and about breakfast and all the stuff but also acknowledging that the stuff isn't that good for you. It, it, it's just funny to me because, like I said, so many people they'll deprive themselves of that, and it's like, listen, you can't, you can't stop the re, you can't stop the Grim Reaper, you can't stop Father Time. So you know, you might as well enjoy, enjoy a short stack of pancakes, you know, because it, it, you're you're gonna come to a point in your life where you might not be able to. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to got to enjoy some of it while while you've got the time. I did want to tell sure. you. If you want to try something different, if you have a Trader Joe's in your area, pick up their pancake bread and then oh, get back to okay. me. And then get back to me. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> I will do that. We we are avid Trader Joe's shoppers, so we will I will forward that on. We'll we'll, we'll definitely try it out. There you go. All right. So I want to jump into what we like to call the hot seat. It's a series of just uh rapid fire questions, just real off the cuff stuff. Uh All dive right. into a couple of different things. Um so first and foremost, uh, obviously now in, 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 in 2019, we run our businesses on our mobile devices. Uh, what's yours? Uh, I have an iPhone 10. Okay. And when you unlock your phone in the morning, what's the first app you go to? Ooh, ah, probably email. Email, huh? Yeah, yeah. Now, are you inbox zero or do you have a number in front of that envelope? <laughs> um, right, right now, I definitely have a number in that inbox. I am... <laughs> I am a um, morning inbox zeroer. Nice. That's, what, that's my one of the first things I try and do is zero my inbox out. But um, I'm at a game convention here in in Reno, Nevada, called Gamma, the Game Manufacturers Association, and it's been very difficult to to uh, to get my inbox to zero because things are just flooding in. Right, especially with conventions. That's that's the number one thing. Like when I when it's con season and, and we have to cover a certain convention, I know I'm going to wake up and there's going to be at least 150 emails I- easily in there right um yep do you prefer working on a laptop or a desktop laptop nice um what's your most frequently used program on your laptop besides email <laughs> hmm my most frequently used i would say probably either either microsoft publisher which is how i build all of my prototypes 
Nice. Um, which is an old program that a lot of people are like, what? You still use that? Oh, it's so simple, though. It's so easy and so clean. Um, outside of that, I'd probably say um, Google Sheets and Google Docs. Those are the, all of our, our, our whole company is integrated through Google Sheets and Google Docs. And I love building models in Google Sheets. So that's probably the second most. Nice. Um, what's your favorite piece of tech besides your phone and your computer? Hmm. I don't know if I have much other tech besides that. Those are the two things I kind of live and die by. I, honestly, I would say uh, this is this is very not tech, but I would say um, a notebook. Mm, um, I do right. a lot of writing in a notebook. Okay. Um, I, 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 that's where most of my brainstorming is, is, is in a notebook. Nice. Uh, do, do, so do you journal or do you just keep a notebook on you to just jot down ideas at a, at a moment's notice? Yeah, it's more to flesh out ideas. Um, the, the first draft of most of my ideas, I'll get a notebook out and a clean piece of paper and just start sketching out game components and how mechanics will work and how things will function and then then i take it and i move it over to digital but at the first few idea designs come right out of like reading a book and working on science material from a textbook or something and then just having a clean piece of paper and, and sketching things out and thinking through it that way nice all right um do you work with or without music in the background um i like to work in dead silence all right. Music sometimes is a little distracting for me, but but I, I, I do I do sometimes. So it depends what kind of work I'm doing. If I'm doing um, more graphic design kind of work, then um, I will work with um, like dubstep music in the background because it just gets me really fired up. Um, but if I'm doing like thinky kind of work where I need to like um, read sentences and 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 optimize the marketing copy or think through strategy or something like that, then yeah, then I like it just dead silence. Obviously, as somebody working in the gaming industry, you're de- you have to be a gamer. Um, favorite? Yeah. What's it? For, first, we'll we'll touch on it in a few different ways. Uh, favorite board game? So my favorite board game, if I had to pick just one, I would probably say Stone Age. Okay, it's a fabulous game. And um, what's a game you play with your kids? A game I play with my kids. I play um, Too Many Monkeys. Okay. It's a little game about um you know you you've heard that like um m- the monkeys and too many monkeys in the bed. Yep. It's kind of like that where you're um you're revealing cards and trying to get them all to fit in the bed. It's right. it's pretty cute. All right. Um what do you do to decompress? I take walks. That's okay. uh yeah, that's probably the the number one thing I do to decompress. I take a walk and I listen to a podcast or listen to an audiobook. Okay. What's the last audiobook you listened to? Last one I listened to was called Four Disciplines of Execution probably one of the best books that everyone should listen to if they want to learn how to properly execute on strategy. It's amazing. Uh, what's one podcast you're listening to now? Um, I'm listening to a bunch, but one, um, I would say Ludology is one I'm listening to. It's about the, uh, the study of game design or how designers design games. Um, I also, uh, I'm a planet money addict. I've listened to it it's essentially every planet money that's that's ever been published um and then a whole bunch of others i listen to a ton of them on business as well um a startup um from gimlet media that one's been really great as well so there, there's three <laughs> nice so ludology you said is the first one right yes okay um what's something that you've purchased for less than a hundred dollars that's made your life easier or more enjoyable for less than a hundred dollars mm, great question I'd probably say my backpack. Okay. Yeah, I carry um, everywhere I go. I have a backpack, um, and I carry essentially everything I need in there. I have I have a toothbrush, I have breath mints, mouthwash, I have a charging cable, um, I have um, stuff for my phone. I I usually keep um, 
like deodorant, um, little wraps and things like that. I keep energy bars. So it's just like, like my, my backpack is probably my, the one, if I, if I didn't have that backpack, I'd like drop all that stuff. Right. So I'd say that's probably what it is. Uh, what, what company makes the backpack? This is, it's going to pull it up right now and look, um, outdoor equipment. Huh. I don't even know. I think I got it at like, I think I got it at target or something. Oh, okay. Just yep. This, yep. I, I know exactly the brand then. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It doesn't actually have like a, a, a brand name on it. It just says outdoor outdoor products. That's all it says. <laughs> well, you know, obviously we, we talked about the tech. We got to get into some toys a little bit. Um, what was your favorite toy growing up? Ooh, um, I played a lot of, um, I played a lot of Crossfire and, um, and lo- like every, every mass market board game you can think of, I played a ton. Um, uh, Monopoly, Clue, Sorry, Risk. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I maybe say Crossfire. I didn't play with a ton of like, toy toys because we did, you know we didn't have a lot or maybe lincoln logs that oh man from way back when that was that was just awesome it, you know it's 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 hilarious that you say that i remember i bought i was in a store with my wife and i said you know i want to get lincoln logs whenever we have a, a kid and she looks at me and she goes why would you do that these are the most <laughs> boring things it is it is hilarious now now i feel i feel so much better that somebody else knows knows all about that <laughs> oh man those were phenomenal i like if i found lincoln logs now i would i'd probably buy them in a heartbeat yep they got a i don't port. even know if they make them anymore i saw them in a toys r us before toys r us folded so uh oh. you know but but yeah that that was still out there and it, it's actually really cool that you that you said that um what's the last toy you bought your kids oh great question um actually um i bought the last toy i bought my daughter was a sewing kit she really? Lo- yes. Yeah. And not, not like a kid sewing kit. It wasn't a toy. I actually bought her, I bought her a real sewing kit. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like kind of dangerous because there's like stuff in there that can really <laughs> hurt you. Uh, but she, she loves to like, she loves to make things. She's a crafter, man. She make she just loves to make anything. And she's on a kick right now making doll clothes. So I'm like, well, I could, I mean, I, I actually am really good at sewing. I took two classes in high school on home economics. And re- really liked it. Remember how to sew really well. And in the army, we actually learned how to sew and had a sewing kit, you know, cause you got to patch up your uniform and stuff like that. Um, so I bought a really nice, almost like military grade sewing kit. And we are currently like making, you know, download a, a, um, a file from the internet to cut the cloth out and then we sew it together and make dowel clothes. That's, pretty, so that's been, that's been pretty fun. It does your, does your entrepreneurial spirit kick in and make you say, Hey, you know, you can make these and you could sell them to your friends. Oh my gosh, like you would never believe. I mean, my, like sometimes my family looks at me like, stop thinking about ways to make money doing what we're doing. Gosh. I'm like, no, but come on. I mean, we could make some money off this. <laughs> that's, that's, that I, I am so glad. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, and it, it's so funny you asked too, because while we're making these dowel clothes, that is exactly what I thought. Yeah. I'm like, we're making these clothes. I'm like, man, we could, we could sell the clothes online. No, no, that would require a lot of work. Oh, what if we sold the, the outlets, the templates online? Yeah. Yeah. Then they could download it. Yep. And, and it's like, wait, wait, hold on, man. Just, just enjoy <laughs> just making make the clothes the with your clothes. daughter. Yep. Jeez. No, but, but you know, it's funny because in, in this day and age, and, and I asked this because I, I had read a piece recently about the death of, of the lemonade stand. You know, when, when, yeah. when, when kids, when kids used to go do a lemonade stand, do this now, now it's just, it's the same thing. Like when people don't do, um, want to learn trades or what you were saying yeah. about home economics, you know, I was, 
talking to a friend of mine. And I said, listen, you know, it's crazy that home economics still isn't taught in school because people should know the basics to cook. And oh, like yeah. you said, the, ba- the, you know, the basics to sew is, is a good one because my, my mother taught my brother how to sew and taught me how to cook. Yeah. That was, that was how, how we were divided because she knew our strengths and she was like, you're learning how mm. to cook. You're learning how to sew. And the fact that, that nobody can learn that, especially in school is just insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is, it is, it's sad. Well, the, the last thing to wrap things up. So, you know, where do you, where do you see Genius Games a year from now? What's, what's on the pipeline? What's next? Yeah, we've got a bunch of stuff coming up next. The, the most immediate thing we have, we have a Kickstarter campaign launching on March 19th, Tuesday morning. Um, and it will be for a game called Nerd Word Science. So right now there's lots of party games out there, lots of word games out there. Um, you can buy them at Walmart and Target and all those places, and a lot of them have, you know, a lot of them are, have have some irreverent content in them, we'll say. But what we are doing is we are making, I think, the world's first party game that is exclusively about science terminology, right? Because that's kind of that's you know that's what we do. Yep. Um, and so we're really excited about that launching on um, March 19th. We also have a number of other products in the pipeline. We have a game about the periodic table of elements that will be hitting retail in July of this year. Um, so look for that. It's called Periodic, a game of the elements. You can actually pre-order that on Amazon.com right now. Um, you can also, if, if, if you retailers out there, retailers can, can pre-order it through us at GeniusGames.org or through some of our distributors, um, ACD and Alliance are, are the two bigger ones. Um, and this year, this is actually the 150th anniversary of the periodic table. And so the United Nations has declared this the year of the periodic table, right? So this, this, this year is a big deal. So we're launching this game in the year of the periodic table. So we're hoping that this is going to be a, a really big success for us. Um, other than that, we have, I'm working on about five different math games. They're kind of smaller, quicker card games about math content. Um, and therefore, uh, most of our games are for, you know, a, Maybe even an adult audience um, down and, you know, um, maybe down to like 10 years old, 11, 12 years old. You can play most of our stuff. Um, but these games are going to be for maybe a bit younger audience, um, 7, 8, 9, 10. Um, but they're going to be math games that, um, that go through some processes of multiplication and division and fractions and decimals and things like that. And we're, we're really excited about them because we've been playing them with gamers and gamers are like, wow, these are, it's like, it's kind of fun. It's kind of clever what you're doing in these games. You're just using, using math as a, as a means to, to, to getting, um, to getting the gameplay going. So yeah, those are the major projects. Um, oh, we also have some, uh, uh, these anatomy puzzles and jigsaw puzzles. These are really cool. So we have, um, we hired a certified medical illustrator from Johns Hopkins University and she illustrated a cut just inside the skin and muscles of the entire human body. And each puzzle covers one area of the body. So the head is one puzzle and the thorax is another puzzle and the abdomen is another puzzle and the legs and the arms are also separate puzzles. And when you put all seven puzzles together, you actually form a 10-foot-tall human across your floor. I mean, it's insane. It's huge. Um, And we're really excited about these. We launched a Kickstarter for them um, earlier in the year, but these hopefully will be on Amazon for pre-order very soon, hopefully by the end of March. And then um, they'll be available, I think, in um, June, um, July-ish for actual purchase through retail. Nice. So that's all the stuff we're working on. Very. Maybe more, but uh, I know that's that's what's on the top of my head. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, last question to the hot seat, and this this one always creates some some 
some great responses. Um, All right. If you could I'm have, nervous. if you could have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, who would it be? What would you have? And what would you talk about? Oh, that's a great question. I have so <laughs> many people that come to mind. Um, I mean, I'm thinking like one of them. One of I, I it, would, it, it would be hard to decide. I would like one of them would be like George Washington. One of them would be Jesus. <laughs> one of them would be. Stephen Covey. I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Covey. He wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah, I've I've, I've heard I've oh, heard of the gosh. book. Yep. Um. Yeah, it's 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 really hard to decide because it really depends on on what what I what I would really want to know about what I'm thinking about at that time in life. Mm. Um. Because um, I think there's so, there's so many different interesting um um areas throughout history that I'm so interested in. Um. So yeah, and what would I eat? I would. I would um I would eat barbecued ribs. Nice. Because if you're gonna eat with someone, barbecued ribs, it's just like you can't go wrong. Um, a great equalizer right there. Yeah, yeah. Messy. You kind of you kind of just are bonding. Yep, I get it. Or pancakes. Right? Or pancakes. Or breakfast for dinner. And what was the last one? Who and what would you eat? Uh, who? What would you eat? And what would you talk about? What would you want to talk with them about? Or at? Um, I would probably want to ask the question: How how do you when you're on your deathbed, know that you lived a good life. Know that you lived a life worth living. That is that's what I of, ask. That's a hell of a question, and that is a great way to close out the hot seat. Um, All right, that that's awesome. Um, last one. I you know we like to pay it forward here with uh, reach one, teach one. If somebody was looking to start a business, whether it's um you know a business like yours or something close to it, what's what's a piece of actionable advice actionable advice you'd give them? Yeah, I would say um, the first is go go read as many blogs about the type of product you're trying to produce or the company that you're trying to produce. There's tons of free information out there. Um, that would be the first thing. Digest as much content from podcasts like this as possible. Um, possibly find some mentors who have done it already um, and help them because they can help you to foresee issues and hurdles before you ever even know they exist. Um, that would probably be the first. And then, um, one of the practices I've learned more recently is, is the idea, uh, of just like focus, 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 identify what is the most important thing you need to be doing to ensure that what you're doing is successful. What is the one most important thing? And then devote time to doing exclusively that thing. Otherwise the urgent will just, the urgent will overcome the important every time. But figure out what is the most important thing that you could be doing this day, this week, this month, this year, and and set aside time to be doing that thing. Um, otherwise, yeah, like like I said, the urgency is going to take over. Makes that that's a that is a great way to wrap things up. Um, as always, uh, where can everybody find you? Yeah, you can find um, Genius Games at geniusgames.org. Um, there, we also have a Facebook page. Um, I think it's, uh, Facebook forward slash genius, got genius games, or maybe it's, we change it to genius games. But if you, if you are on Facebook and you search for genius games, we'll come up. Yep. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. I'm not too active on those platforms anymore. Um, but you can also just email our, 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 um, our company account at team at geniusgames.org. Um, and, um, I receive those emails as well. All right. That's great. Um, so with that, I really want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with us and share the toys and tech of your trade. Awesome. Yes, absolutely.
All right, that wraps our interview with John Colview, CEO and founder of Genius Games. Uh, what an amazing, amazing human being. Uh, if you want to learn more about Genius Games and the work that they do, make sure to check them out at GeniusGames.org. If you're interested in securing a copy of Nerd Words for yourself or want to learn more about the campaign, we're going to put links for the Kickstarter in the show notes for this episode. We're also going to make sure to include all the social media links to follow for Genius Games, John, and all the work that they're doing. Uh, last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode or would like to be a guest on a future episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, feel free to drop me a line, rich at rageworks.net, or fill out the contact form on the site, uh, www.rageworks.net. Also, if you are checking out the show on iTunes, we said it at the start of the broadcast, but we definitely want to reiterate it. Just the one call to action. Please take a moment and rate the show on iTunes. We would truly, truly appreciate it. Any of the stuff that we discussed on this episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade may have affiliate links, which if you're not aware for full transparency, affiliate links uh, do not affect any of your purchases. We actually just receive a small commission from the retailer that we use, whether it's Amazon or Entertainment Earth or anyone else which allow us to give you guys better content and create cooler stuff for you guys. So by all means, feel free to use those links to complete your purchases, whether it's something related to what we discussed on air or something else. But by all means, every little bit helps. So feel free to use our affiliate links. And if you're interested in being an advertiser on Toys and Tech of the Trade or any of the other shows on the RageWorks Network, feel free to fill out our advertising form and we will get back to you. We also accept advertisers for our website as well. All right, guys, I want to thank you for taking the time to check out our interview with John Coview, and we'll see you next week. We'll be back on our regular schedule with the Marvelists, Peter Melnick as our guest. All right, guys, thanks for listening. See you next time. Peace.
Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and four plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com.